Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we are going to do Revelation 19 today, and we're almost done with Revelation, so I have a little chart up here that you can look at, and it just kind of lays out Revelation. It's not all exact, but it's the best guess on different seals and judgments and when they're going to hit, and so it's just a real helpful uh, chart there by Timothy LaHaye. You can uh, look at that and study that. But the title for today is The Second Coming of Jesus Christ, Revelation 19. And if anyone thinks that the second coming is not getting... The, the, if you don't realize how close it is, then you're not following world events and you're not reading your Bible. Because if you read your Bible and follow world events, there's no doubt about it. It's getting close, close, closer. We saw all this anti-Jewish writing around the world this week, including in New York City. Uh, just watch the videos. Go on the news, with Google, you know, search and watch the videos. It's unbelievable what is happening. And then on the Temple Mount, there's all this writing on the Temple Mount, <clears throat> we know where that's heading to, the Third Temple. This anti-Semitism will culminate when the Antichrist and the armies of the world attack Jerusalem. That's what's going to happen. The Antichrist and the armies of the world are going to converge on Jerusalem, the final solution. They're going to try to wipe them out. And that's the exact time that God is going to send his son, Jesus Christ, back again. He's Jesus to the rescue. The same exact time he's coming back to the earth is when they're attacking Jerusalem. And we'll see what happens when that happens. Uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the chapter here, okay? And uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that Jesus is coming again. And Lord, I pray that if anybody who's listening to this is not ready, whether they're not a Christian yet, that they, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus, or if they're not living for you, not ready because they're not living for you, I pray that this would motivate each of us to really be prepared for your for the coming, when you send your son Jesus, the second coming. We pray we'd be ready for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> Revelation 19 today, and we're going to see Revelation, but guess what precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ. Guess what precedes it? Rejoicing in heaven. Rejoicing in heaven. Let's look at it. Rejoicing in heaven in Revelation 19, 1-6. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Take note of that. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! <laughs> I love it. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! <laughs> I love it. Uh, can you all enjoy that? I enjoy that hallelujah part. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our God Almighty reigns. Okay, so we have rejoicing in heaven, specifically four hallelujah choruses. Four times we have the hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's only four times in the New Testament, but it's all over the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament word, usually in the book of Psalms, alright? And it's used in conjunction with God's judgment and deliverance. Judgment and deliverance, and that's why it's used here in Revelation. God is judging the world and delivering His 
people once for all. Verse 6 said it's loud. Why is it so loud? Because finally, finally, after all this, the second coming of Jesus Christ, we've been waiting for it. He's going to set all things right. And they have the hallelujah chorus. Think of Handel's Messiah. Remember, you know when you hear that and you just get the chills from Handel's Messiah? Times that by a million and you get a little picture of what is going on here. The, the chills from that, what you'll get a, a million chills on this one. Another reason for the praise, the loud praise, is found in Revelation 19, the next two verses. They're praising because Jesus is coming again, going to judge the world and, and, and deliver his people. But the second reason for all this excitement is 19, 7 to 8. <clears throat> Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So we see that it's all, another reason is the bride is ready for the wedding of the Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb. I remember when Prince Charles married Princess Lady Diana at the time, Princess Diana, uh, and the whole world was, I remember getting up, remember I had to get up at four in the morning to watch that. Not. Nah. But all the girls did. All the girls were up watching it and excited. They all came, you know, to, you know, you saw them the next day coming to different things in the summer there. They're all half asleep, you know, because they all had to see that. Uh, but, but the whole, that, that wedding was nothing compared to what this one is going to be like, the wedding of the lamb. Now we know who the lamb is. It's Jesus Christ, okay? He's the bridegroom. But who is the bride? Us. We are the church is the bride. Ephesians 5, 25 talks about this. Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Radiant, get that? Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Getting the connection here? Husband and wife, right? For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he's using a husband and wife to compare Christ with the church, okay? And so, you see, when you become a Christian, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and give your life to him, you say, God, I repent of my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, you become part of the body of Christ. It says here in Ephesians, but not only the body of Christ, but you are now the coming bride of Jesus Christ. Two things, body of Christ and bride of Christ, the promised bride of Christ. Is the bride ready today? Think of the church in the USA. Are we ready for Jesus to come again for his holy, unblemished bride? No! <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess, not by a long shot, right? But we will be. God, God will get us ready. How? Revival. We hope for a revival, at least a remnant revival. That's what I'm looking at right now. Uh, but what else will we use? Persecution. Persecution. God often, always uses persecution to really get the bride ready. In fact, Richard Wombrand, who was a, uh, wrote Tortured for Christ, he also established Voice of the Martyrs. He's passed away. He's in heaven now. But oh my goodness, what he went through. And he talks about the reason for persecution, why God sends it. And he was persecuted by the Russian communists. But listen to what he says here. He says, There are no nominal, half-hearted, 
Lukewarm Christians in Russia or China, the price Christians pay is far too great. Persecution has always always produced a better Christian, a witnessing Christian, a soul-winning Christian. Communist persecution has backfired and, and produced serious, dedicated Christians rarely seen in free lands. We're not free for long, but we still are so far. Uh, people cannot understand how anyone could be a Christian and not... People, these people cannot understand how anyone could be a Christian and not want to win every soul they meet. Every soul they meet. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it, God uses persecution. I remember when our church started, New Hope Community Church, we were getting attacked left and right, just like you see all over the country now, but this was 20 years ago. And I kept telling everybody, keep your eyes open. It's going to happen everywhere. It's going to happen everywhere in the USA someday. Everybody thought I was crazy. Here it is. And we were getting attacked. But every time we would get a little complacent, God would let someone else come in and threaten us or do something crazy or tell some lie about us or the TV station would show up with a new lie on, you know, checking on a new lie that was told about us uh, in the paper. <clears throat> someone would threaten, beat me up, something, something crazy that how God used a jolt to get us refocused again. And it was, it was amazing how God uses persecution. Okay. When, when we go through persecution, when we go through trials, that's when we really grow closest to God. That's when we really need God and we depend on God. And God is preparing many people all over the world for His the coming, second coming of Jesus Christ. And even in the U.S., not facing the kind of persecution they face all over the world, but we're starting to face some, but we are facing many trials. Look what happened last year. God is doing something. God is doing something. Are we prepared for the wedding day? Are we prepared for the, the wedding of the Lamb? Are we prepared? Do we have fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints? Are we righteous? Are we pure? Are we holy? If we're not, we will be. God will make sure that the persecutors find us. <laughs> He's going to purify every one of us. He's going to do that. And it's very important that we, we are prepared for that. Um, the wedding will be followed by a wedding supper. A wedding supper. Revelation 19, 9-10. A wedding reception. Let me read that to you. Revelation 19, 9 and 10. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, Do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see right after the wedding comes a wedding reception. As a pastor, I get to go to lots of receptions uh, after doing performing the wedding. Uh, I get, it's been a lot of fun ones, a lot of good food, a lot of fun, but nothing compared to this one. That We have never experienced anything compared to what this one is going to be like. Uh, but now here's the thing. Wedding guests are invited. If Christians are the bride, who's getting invited to this? Who's getting invited? Who will the guest be? John 3. Same Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the, uh, the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 3, listen to what he says. Talking about John the Baptist. He says, To this John replied, verse 27, 327, To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that, that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits 
and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. What is he saying here? The, 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 the guests who are invited, the John the Baptist and everybody who came before him, they are the guests invited. Those are the Old Testament saints. They're not the church. They're not the bride. They're the Old Testament saints. They're already in heaven. Jesus, after his resurrection and, and, uh, uh, after his death and resurrection, went down into Abraham's bosom, brought them all to heaven because now sin was paid for. But they, they were, they were saved by faith, just like we are. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited him as righteousness. Uh, they were saved by faith, but the faith that they had was in a lamb and a sacrifice. They put their faith in this lamb that was sacrificed and they were told by God that by putting their faith in the sacrifice, they would, were justified by faith. They didn't know exactly what that all meant, but they trusted God. They put faith in God. That sacrifice was looking forward, looking forward to Jesus Christ. But only the church actually saw Jesus' death, <clears throat> Jesus' death and resurrection. So only the church could put their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that. We are the bride of Christ. The Old Testament saints came before us and they're waiting for us to get there and they're ready to celebrate the wedding of the church with Jesus Christ, but they're they're not in the church. They're Old Testament saints. And that's what it's talking about. Those are the guests, okay? They're going to be very excited when we, they're excited when we get there. John, they've prepared the way for us. They're excited when we get to heaven to be with them, but we're coming specifically as the bride of Christ. Then in verse 10, it talks about John being overwhelmed. He falls down before the angel, and the angel says, don't worship me. Don't worship angels. New age movement, worship of angels. Don't worship angels. Uh-uh. God alone. And then he talks about the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, it says. Uh, we need to look what he means in that in First Peter, First Peter 1. 10 to 11, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Christ and of the glories that would follow. Did you get that? Uh, the, uh, it's just uh, crazy here that Jesus spoke to each of the prophets he spoke to them. Each, he was the source of their prophecy, it says here. And the main focus of the Old Testament prophets was the first coming of Jesus Christ when he came to die and resurrect for us. That was the first, and, but Jesus was speaking through these Old Testament prophets. That's why it talks about him being the, the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then the New Testament prophets, they mostly focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ. But both are, uh, uh, Filled and directed by the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. That's what it's talking about. So, the wedding is done. The, the, uh, supper, the reception, the wedding reception is complete. Now look where we go on our honeymoon. Look where we go, look where the church goes with Jesus on its honeymoon. Back 
to earth, back to earth, back to the future, back to earth, to the retribution of the earth, actually the, the punishment of the earth, Revelation 19, and now we see the, the honeymoon is Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it's the second coming, we're going back with him, and I, I saw heaven standing open, verse 11, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see the second coming right here. That's where we're going on the honeymoon. Verse 11, he's on a white horse, different this time. The first time he came on a donkey and he came to die. The second time he comes on a white horse and he comes to kill, make other people die, right? <clears throat> Verse 12, he has a name that no one knows but he himself. The names for God in the Bible are all meant to convey something about his character, something about his being, something about God. And you put all the names together and you have a good picture of what, who, how holy and how just and how loving God is. The one true God, Jehovah God. Jehovah God. And, and if you really want to know God, you have to study the names of God in the Bible. There's incredible studies on the name of God. I encourage you to do that. But not everything about God has been revealed to us. Here's a name that no one knows but he himself. We're going to find that out in Revelation. We're going to find that out when we get to heaven, but we don't know it now. It will take all of eternity to truly know God. I'm sure there's many names that will, you know, that, that aren't known to us that will reveal more to us, but we can't even begin to grasp God, right? But we'll have all eternity to get to know all there is about God. It's just like marriage. You get married, but you have your whole marriage. You never stop learning about each other. You know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years still learning about each other. Some good, some bad. But, but you're still learning about each other. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to get to know God better and better. And it's all good when we get to heaven. Gonna know, but that's a name that only He knows. Also, there's something to that name not being known only to Him. Because you see, in the spirit world and in the world of magic in the New Testament times, uh, knowing somebody's name gave you power over them. Uh, remember the demons when they said to Jesus, We know who you are, Jesus the son of God, you know, you know, and he says, shut up and get out of here. That magic doesn't work on me. You don't have power over me. No one has power. Uh, the, the name of Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything. It doesn't matter what kind of magic games they play, right? Uh, verse 13, he says, he's also called the word of God, the word of God, that we, we see that same concept back at, once again back in John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse, uh, John chapter 1 verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Nothing was made that has, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So we know that Jesus made everything. He's God. Uh, John, uh, Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Remember, let us make man in our image. Us, it's talking about the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, okay? And so, we, we, we see here though in John 1, 1, that Jesus is God. He was with God. He was God. He created all things. And he, he, he's called the Word there in John 1, 1. He's called the Word. Jesus called the Word. The Word in Greek is Logos. Logos. Not talking about a computer program or something. Logos. It means the expression of God. And exp- the expression of God. The, the, the Word reveals something. Jesus reveals God. We, we know who God is because we've seen Jesus and, and all He showed us. Showed us what His Father was like. Okay? So the Word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following. Who was following Him? Us. That's us. Remember Revelation 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14, where it talks about this very thing. I don't know if you remember that one, but very, very good. Uh, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. We are coming right behind Him. We are on the horses. If you don't know how to ride a horse, get your riding lessons because you're going to be riding a horse. Pretty fast one, all the way from heaven down to earth. It's going to be a wild ride. But notice, <clears throat> there's no weapons here. There's no weapons. We aren't going to have weapons. We're not going to have armor. We're just wearing white. We're riding on a horse wearing white. You know, we're we're not going to really get dirty this time. We won't. Uh, we're not coming to fight. We're coming to observe something. Observe something. We do our fighting now. We better be fighting now. We do our fighting now. Ephesians six. Uh, Ephesians 6, for our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We are fighting Satan now. We're fighting his demonic, demonic horde now. We are fighting the world now. We are fighting sin now. We are fighting uh, the, the flesh now. That is our battle right now. Temptation now. We're fighting. That we're, we're called to fight, okay? But here in Revelation, we've already fought the battle. Now we're just going along for the ride. We're going to watch Jesus do all the fighting for us. I remember when uh, we only had four kids a long time ago. Matt, we had Ryan, Matthew, Megan, and then little Joshua. And Joshua was like two or three. And he was the youngest. And he got like, they needed to just step, you know, beat him up. Now he's this big tough guy, broke a world record weightlifting and all that. But but at the time, he was this wimpy little kid. And they they abused him. And every once in a while, they would get a little too rough on little Josh. And, and they would like, be picking on him. And I'd say, hey, let's have a little wrestling match. And I'd throw the blanket down in the living room. And I'd say, okay, it's going to be Josh. Josh and I against you three. Like, oh yeah, they're all excited. But so Josh and I would start to wrestle, and I would grab all three of them, the older ones, grab them, pin them down, and then I would say, okay, Josh, what should I do to him now? And he says, you know, you know, tickle him. I tickle him and tickle him. He'd be screaming, and then I say, well, what now? Give him a Charlie horse. So I punch him in the leg, you know, and, and I would just really work him over. Whatever Josh said, and and he would get all excited that he was doing it. He was like cheering, and and he he felt like he was really beating them up when I was doing all the work. But he was cheering like he, and they thought he was beating them up too. They're like, we're gonna get you, Josh. We're gonna get you. I'm like, he's not doing anything. I'm doing it, you know. But they were so mad at him because he was. Giving, you know, cheering for me and telling me what to do. And, but they were, they, they were like owning it too. It was crazy. But that's what it's going to be like. We're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Get that one. That's the one who beheaded me. Remember that? Oh, that's the one who stoned me to death. You know, uh, yeah, there, he, that's the one who's living in my house after they killed me. Uh, this is what's going to happen when we go back to earth. Uh, we're going to be cheering it on, cheering it on, right? Uh, and then also says in verse 15, the sword, the, uh, he's going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. Uh, the Greek for this is a long tongue-shaped 
sword. The Word of God is living. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And you know, I always have a sword or two handy. And once again, this isn't my tongue-shaped ones because they were too small. I didn't want to use one of them because they're small. It's a big tongue-shaped one. And this is what the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth is what's going to wipe them out. Going to take them all out the sword of the the sword coming from his mouth. Uh, he Jesus created the world with a word, and he's going to destroy it with a word from his mouth, the spoken word. And look what happens. This is when it happens uh, in Armageddon. We talked about Armageddon. We talked about how Armageddon is when uh, they're going to be the world Antichrist and, and the world forces are going to be coming into Israel. They're going to be wiping it out. They're going to they're they're going to kill the majority of the Jews and. And whoever lives there, Christians, Jews, going to kill the majority of them, but there's going to be a remnant alive. By, uh, I can't remember the percentage, but maybe one third, something ballpark. I'm just going by memory. But but there's he's going to. But just as he's coming after Jerusalem, that's when Jesus comes down out of the sky and makes them pay. He saves the Jews. He saves the nation of Israel. They turn to him as their one true God. They're going to look on the one whom they pierce and mourn, as one mourns for an only son. You know all the prophecies and the Old Testament about that. Uh, but let's look at what it says. It, they're going to come down and, and attack. Well, I'm going to read it first. Uh, let's see here. Revelation 19, verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who carried in a, cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings generals and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. <clears throat> then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Woo! It's like Independence Day. Remember the movie Independence Day when, when the aliens are coming down and all the armies of the earth get together and they, they're fighting these aliens and, and fighting them off. And I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but, uh, uh, well, the, the, the earthlings won. But, but this time, it's going to be the opposite. The ones coming down are not evil aliens. It's going to be Jesus. And it's going to be the church on white horses. And we're going to be coming down to, to fight and defeat the evil earth. And, and, and the, Jesus is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to win. He's going to wipe them out. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be unbelievable. And you see, we have a choice. We have a choice here. We can either be part of the Lamb Supper as the, the bride. We can be part of the Lamb Supper or we can be Vulture's Supper. Vulture Supper. There's a million birds of prey that migrate every year. They migrate from Africa to Europe and Asia each year and they fly across the land bridge of Palestine. And that's, they're going to come right over at just this time, right at the, God's going to time it perfectly with the, with the Antichrist and, and Armageddon. And all the unbelievers will be killed at this time. They're going to be eaten by these birds. 
Only the, the, the Jews and Christian remnant will be left alive at this time. We'll talk about more of that as we get into the last few chapters. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown directly into the lake of fire, prepared for Satan and his demons. All the rest of the, the people who are killed are going to be thrown into Hades, which is temporary hell. And then later on, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire later on. We'll see that in a few more chapters. I believe it's coming. I believe it's getting close. The second coming, if you study the Bible and if you study the, uh, look at what's happening in our world, it's close. Are you ready? Are you ready? As a Christian, are you pure? Are the refined, are you wearing the white linen and living refined lives and, and living pure and productive? Do you have the white robes of righteousness on you? Are you ready? Are you ready? We'd better be ready because it's coming. Are you ready? And, and you know what I've been talking about, what is coming. Uh, a beautiful picture of somebody who is, re- who is ready, who was ready at the time, uh, was a little girl. It was in Voice of the Martyrs a couple years back, and I saved the story because it was such a touching, touching story. But it was a little girl in the Philippines, in the area of the Philippines where the Muslims rule, uh, the radical Muslims rule, uh, one part of it, the southern part of it. And this little girl would walk by the church where the missionaries were speaking and she would hear them and and she'd be like drawn. The Holy Spirit was drawing her. God was drawing her. She wanted to come, but she would just sit in the door and they'd invite her and wave her and she wouldn't come because her father had said, you stay away from those Christians. Father was a Muslim. Stay away from those Christians. And so she was afraid to come in. But one day she couldn't resist. She came in and she came into church and that very day she went to the Sunday school class and that very day she put her faith in Jesus. She put her faith in Jesus on that very day. Uh, she became a child of God. The missionary was so excited by this little girl and by her, her new life and, and, and everything that he, he gave her a beautiful white dress. The missionary gave her a beautiful white dress representing the fact that Jesus had washed away her sin. They gave her this beautiful white dress. Um, the next service, the girl doesn't show up. And they're like, where is she? I thought for sure she'd be here. So they went to, to her village, which was some miles away. They went looking for her. And when they got her, they found, I'm just going to read it. They found the young new believer lying in the dirt. Her white dress was torn, filthy, and soaked in blood. The father, who was in a drunken stupor when she got home and found out about her becoming a Christian, saw the white dress, was so upset, he beat her and kicked her and left her for dead. Left her for dead. The missionaries, when they got there, gently lifted the girl up, carried her back to the church, got a doctor, rushed in to try to help her, but he, it was too late. He cleaned her up. He removed the rag, they removed the ragged dress and, and cleaned her up, but her injuries were too severe, the internal injuries, and the doctor said she's going to die. There's no way she can make it. She had been left out there like that. It was just horrible. Uh, so after she regained conscience, conscious, the, uh, Consciousness. The, uh, the 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 missionaries were talking to her and telling her, you know, you're going to be with Jesus soon. And and uh, she was she was in so much pain and trauma, being beaten by her father like that. Yet she was insistent. She said, "Give me my white dress," because they had taken it off of her. "Give me my white dress. I want my white dress." And they said, "You don't understand. It's filthy." It's covered with blood. You, you know, she was, I want it. Please give me my dress. And they gave her the dress. And she said, she whispered to them, when I go see Jesus, 
I want him to know that I was willing to bleed for him. And that's how she went to Jesus, holding on to this white blood-stained dress. Are we ready to go see Jesus? Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we focused on that? For Second Peter three eight to twelve and Second Peter three eight to twelve, the last passage. I just want to read these verses where it talks about are we ready, and it talks about speeding the day. Speeding the day it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's waiting for us, waiting for us to get saved, waiting. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Did you get that? We can speed the coming of Jesus Christ. How? By getting saved. The last person predestined to, for salvation has to get saved. Then Jesus can come again. Listen, if I find out that you felt led to become a Christian, but you put it off for another year, and we all had to wait here on this planet because of you and get to heaven, I, I know we're not supposed to sin, but I might just give you a word, or I might just be, don't do it. Or, or if I find out that, you know, also saying wait till we're prepared spiritually, wait till we're a holy bride, speed the day by preparing holy and godly lives it talks about here in Second Peter. If I find out that there was something in your life and you weren't willing to surrender it, you say, God, you can have all this, but not in this room, uh-uh, and then, and then we all were, had to hold up for you to get your sanctification out of the way, I'm going to be really upset with you, alright? I'm going to be mad. I don't want to wait another second longer than we have to for Jesus to come again, right? So, but my point is, God may be waiting for someone to be saved, one of you to be sanctified, waiting. We can speed the day. And that's what should be our whole focus, focusing on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I remember there was a, when I first, uh, my first church position was an United Methodist church. Uh, it was a good one, good, it's still a good one, but most United Methodist churches are apostate now, as you know, and the, the bishop came in who was apostate. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't a Christian, uh, and now he knows better. He's probably in somewhere else. Uh, anyway, he, he, I remember him saying to us, don't talk about the second coming and talking to us as pastors. Don't preach about the second coming. It's too gloomy. It's too gloomy. I go, it might be gloomy for you, pal, because when he comes, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm thinking that, right? But it's the only thing keeping me going. <laughs> it's the only thing keeping me going. That's our hope. Our hope as we go through trials, that's what helps us persevere. Persevere in the ministries that God has called us to. That's Are we ready? What if, are we ready? What if Jesus came back and you knew he's going to come back in one day? Who would you talk to? What would you clean out of your life? What would we do differently? He could come. Whether it's the rapture or the second coming, it could happen any time. We just don't know. And, and he could come. What if he came, what if you knew he's going to come back in one hour? What if you knew he's going to come back in one minute? What if if it was 10 seconds, 10, 9, 8, 
seven, six, five, four, three, two, what are we gonna do? What? What are we gonna do? Yeah, right? What would we do? You can, who would you tell? Don't wait. It could be any time. Now, yeah, we could die any time. Go stand before God any time. Live like it could be any time that Jesus comes again for us. Live like that. Are you ready? Maybe you're not ready because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never become part of the body of Christ. You've never became, you've never become part of the promised bride of Jesus Christ. No, no, you can do that now. You don't have to wait. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can today. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can put your faith in Jesus today. You can have a brand new life today. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I'm so bad and I got the shame and sin and God knows what I've done. I could never... Listen, it doesn't matter. Anyone can come to Jesus. Anything can be forgiven. It doesn't matter. He's waiting to take us in our, his arms to forgive us, to cleanse us, to change us. That's what he wants to do. And I'll close with this story. I remember uh, a story of this, this wedding that uh, years ago, let's see, I don't know, do you write that? Oh, uh, 2009, I wrote it down. Uh, there was a really fancy wedding going on, fancy wedding, and the bride got there early, like all brides, and got the pictures, and blah, blah, blah. But they had the food, they were getting the food ready, and she started going around picking at the hors d'oeuvres. You know, here's a shrimp, here's some crab, here's some uh, bacon rolled around a scallop, you know, all the stuff. You know, you got beautiful, oh, I love the hors d'oeuvres at weddings. And, and but, but she starts eating, because she hadn't eaten much, you know, you know, brides, you know, gotta fit into their wedding dress, so she hadn't eaten much to eat before, but now she's there, she's in the dress, I'm gonna eat, and, and so she starts snacking before the wedding, but then the wedding starts, and then she was not hungry anymore, but she got very nervous, very nervous, she was like nervous, the nerves got to her, and you know, what happens, she, the nerves get to her, her stomach didn't feel right, the fa- her father walked her up to the front, handed her off to the groom, and as soon as he handed her off, she threw up everywhere, all over her beautiful dress, her beautiful white dress, threw up on it, Woo! that stopped the wedding for a time out, commercial break, you know, everybody relax. And they took the poor girl in the back and they cleaned her dress the best they could. They did the best they could. And they brought her back out and, you know, you know, you cleaned up, but you could still tell she threw up, right? Uh, woo! And bring her out and they started up the ceremony again. And, and, but she's so embarrassed. She was so ashamed. She just kept, she just kept crying and crying. And her, so her groom, husband-to-be, took her in his arms and for the whole service he was holding her. Holding her. Reassuring her. He already helped get her cleaned up. Now he's reassuring her. It's okay. You're my bride. That's what Jesus is waiting to do for us. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin, you can start now completely over in Jesus' sight. He can turn you into a new creation. He can transform your life. And every time you feel ashamed, He's going to reassure you. It's under my mercy and my grace. I love you. He's going to hold us. Do you want that? You can have that now. Let's pray. Have you put your faith 
in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you asked Him for forgiveness? He died on the cross and shed His blood to wash us clean if we will put our faith in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The simple prayer, the powerful prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from the shame and the garbage and the filth. I turn away from it. I put my faith in Jesus. His death on the cross for me. I put my faith in Jesus to forgive me. I give my life to Him. Forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. If you pray that prayer of faith from your heart, then God, Jesus has just taken you in His arms and washed you clean with His own blood and has taken your shame and given you a brand new life with Him as His child, as His bride, as His child, as His body, the body of Christ. You have that and I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Maybe you have a family member or a friend or someone at work or someone at school. They've already been praying for you, hoping for this. When you tell them, they're going to be so excited and they'll help you get connected to the body of Christ. I help you grow in your new faith. For those, for those of us who have already found salvation, how is God convicting us about sanctification? Are we, I, are we progressively being sanctified, letting the Holy Spirit change us and transform us, becoming more pure. Not perfect. It's all about progress. It's about progress. Are we seeing God's continued sanctifying work in our life? What do we need to surrender? Right now, what do we need to surrender to make that happen? Who is God calling us to tell the great news to? To share that with? Father, I pray that every one of us would be ready. We would be saved and we would be sanctified. Lord, I pray we would listen to your whisper so we don't need severe discipline, that we would be ready for whatever is coming our way, whether even persecution, whatever is coming our way, we would be ready. Lord, I pray that we would be ready for you to come again, for Jesus to come again for us, whether it's a rapture, or the second coming, whenever he takes us, Lord, I pray that we would be ready now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Next time, Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Getting awesome here. Getting awesome.